Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. It's nice to see you all. It's, be, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to be able to come into God's house, isn't it? This is a privilege, you know, when you look at what's going on in the Ukraine, there are people praying and worshiping in subway stations. The presence of God is with them. Amen. Even when there isn't freedom of worship, God is able to come and meet them there. And it's a tremendous thing. But what a privilege to come into a place like this and lift his name up. Amen. You're the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. It's not powerful a reality that is, that God has set his grace, his favor, and his affections on you now and forever. He's promised in his word that he will plant you in the land in his promises with all his strength and with all his faithfulness. That is good news. Amen. So we've got every reason to rest. And you know, I was thinking, Paul on Mars Hill um, gave that great speech. And a part of his speech was that he said that it's God who establishes the times that men should live and the borders at, uh, of countries and places where, where men should be. So, so, so this is not a dispute between Russia and the Ukraine over borders. This is a dispute between Russia and the almighty God over borders. God was behind the dissolution of the USSR between 1988 and 1991. God sets borders. Amen. So let's know who the real battle is against. Amen. Amen. Russia's coming against the living God. God has God declared sovereignty a sovereign uh, Ukraine to be a sovereign state. So let's 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 view it that way that God will rise up and defend the borders that he set in place. Amen. Let's put the weight on God this morning. And speaking of weight, uh, tonight I want to call or tonight I'll show you where I'm at this morning. This morning, uh, I have a word, and, I, and it's called, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. You know the old Holly song? He ain't heavy, he's my brother. There's a reason why I'm not singing in worship, but you know the song. Okay, I don't want to date you this morning. I don't, want to, I don't want you, if you're of a certain vintage and you're familiar with that song, very good. Uh, if you're young and you don't know what I'm talking about, you will by the end of the message. That's my hope. But let's pray together, church. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, thank you for your presence, Lord. God, I tell you, the longer you go on, the more you realize that if you have the presence of God, you have everything. Life can be challenging and difficult and unexpected. Lord Jesus, things can just come, but in all things, you're at work for the good, Lord, because you've called us according to your purpose and because you love us. And we can rest in that, Lord Jesus, that in the good and the bad, you're conforming all things to the pattern of your will. What does that mean? It means it's going to work out in, 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 in our favor. You'll get your glory and we'll grow deeper and deeper in, into intimacy with you. And that, that's such an amazing thing, God. Lord, I pray you'd lift every head. You are the lifter of our burdens and lifter of our head. That's who you are. So I just pray, Lord, this morning that you would use me in my frailty, in my nervousness, uh, my fear, my inadequacies. I'm still your son. Lord, and it's true of all of us, the least in this house is still a son of the living God, Lord, and we can have value, Lord, we have value based on what you paid for us, and that doesn't change, Lord, the blood that was ransomed, shed to buy us back from slavery, Lord, that price is fixed, oil prices are going up and down, Lord, but the price you paid for us is fixed, and we are the, God, the church that you purchased with your own blood, and we belong to you, and we belong to each other. 
And Lord, I just pray that the gospel, Lord, would be clearly seen and heard this morning. Move me out of the way. Move me and my ideas and what I might think out of the way. We want to hear you. Just use me this morning, I pray, to speak to your beloved people, to speak to your bride. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen. Bless the Lord. Okay, here we go. So he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Some of you are maybe looking at me now and going, well, you haven't seen my brother. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I want to I talk today about, about burdens and uh, I want to go to Galatians chapter 5 and I want to read uh, a portion from uh, the end of chapter 5 and, and chapter 6. Uh, and I want to just look, I want to echo, I think, what the Holy Spirit has been saying from this pulpit as of late. Um, God is moving us, his church, into a new way of relating to one another. Isn't that wonderful? That God is relational, relationships matter to God, and God wants to show his glory through our relationships. Isn't that wonderful? I also believe that this morning God wants to call us into a participation, right, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the body. I'm going to break all this down, show you what I mean, okay? To no longer let fear drive us in our relationships here in the house of God, right? To no longer let fear be the motivating factor in how we deal with each other, relate to each other in the house of God, okay? But rather that we, all the barriers would be lifted and we'd be able to love and serve each other, which is the way we are to be. It's the way we're to manifest this Christian life of ours, loving service to one another, okay? Does that sound good? Supposed to love each other, right? Uh, and I think that that's happening already, right? So, but, but I believe God wants to bring it to bear in greater measure because there's a demonstration of his glory that he doesn't just want to show through us as individuals, but through us corporately. There is a corporate expression that God is after, okay? So we're going to read from Galatians uh, um, now. So you ready? Galatians 5, 25, okay? So Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may be tempted. And look at this key verse uh, for this morning. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Matthew 22, verse 38 and onward, Jesus says that the summation of the law and the prophets is that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbor or our brother or sister as ourselves. So in other words, the whole, that all Christ calls us to is a greater and greater expression of his love. Amen? Okay? If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Verse 5, for each should carry their own load. So this morning, I want to look 
at a call, this call to walk in the spirit, okay? And I want to look at a new and an old way of relating to one another. And then I want to look at an example from the life of Jesus. Amen? Are you ready? Wave at me if you're ready. Yay. All right, let's go. Let's do this. Okay, so let's start. Walking in the Spirit. Listen to this. Paul says in 525, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, let's not become conceited, provoking, or envying one another. And then in 6 verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens. Okay, uh, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So there Paul is lifting up an old and a new way of relating to one another. And I want to read right now, before we jump in uh, any further, I want to read a quote from John Stott. John Stott was a very famous pastor, and this is what he said. He said, the first and great evidence of our walking by the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit is not some private mystical experience of our own, but our practical relationships of love with other people. Right? So walking in the Spirit is a practical thing. It's not some esoteric mountaintop experience. Hum, hum, hum. That's not what Paul is saying. Folks, Paul is saying this is practical. This plays out in how we treat one another. Walking in the Spirit, not mystical personal or personal but practical relational it's about love it's a life in step it's about how we conduct ourselves in relationships in other words it plays out practically in our approach to one another yes. folks is somebody you're, you're going to preach to me this morning too tell me if it's if i'm making sense this is about how we treat each other this is what walking in step with the Spirit is about. This is what Christian maturity ends up being. How we treat each other. Listen, listen. A greater expression of Christ's love towards the people around me, particularly in the body. And it is in our relationships that he wants to show his glory. It's in our relationships that he wants to display who he is, okay? This is how he wants to be made known to the world, okay, folks? And so I want to look today, first and foremost, at a new way, a call on the body to walk in a new way, a new type of relationship. And then I want to look at the warning Paul gives about an old way of walking. Okay, so here we go. The new way, it's to bear, it's right there in 6 verse 2. It's to bear each other's burdens. Hallelujah. Paul is calling us, say, Paul is saying it, telling us the Holy Spirit is saying it this morning. There's a new way you, me, us as the body of Christ have to walk. And it's that we need to bear each other's burdens. And listen, folks, the call to carry the burdens of others is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
John 14, Jesus says, it's good that I go away, but I'm sending one who's exactly like me. He's, and the word Jesus uses, the, the original word for the Holy Spirit who he's talking about uh, in the Greek is paracletes or paracletus. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going, but I'm sending another like me to walk with you, to be a helper to you, to be a strength and source of comfort to you. So I'm not leaving you to figure this thing out on your own and to be crushed by burdens that you can't carry. I'm sending a burden carrier, a helper, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Psalm 46, the God is with us. He is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. How is he ever-present? By the spirit he is left inside of each and every believer. I don't know what you did last night, but if you are, if you are a Christian, you've put your faith in God, and you are under the blood, then his spirit is inside of you and his very spirit in you is the promise of help. Always, always, always. When we walk in step with the spirit, we partake in the ministry of carrying the burdens of Christ's bride. That's what he's calling us to. And this fulfills the law of Christ. God is telling us this morning, Love my bride, love my body. To love her is to love me. We must uphold one another. Amen. We got to uphold one another and we can get very mystical about how grace works within the body. We can pray and over-spiritualize when we need to make a few phone calls. But it's time to make a phone call and offer some help. The spirit ministers to the body, through the body. You and me, we're the conduits of the compassion. We're conduits for the compassion of the spirit that that person around us who might be struggling may need. The help they may need. Most of the time, we just need an ear. We just need compassion and understanding. I don't need you to walk my dog for me. I don't need you to bounce my baby on your shoulder for me. I just need you to understand. I, need you, I just need to know that somebody's there, that I'm seen, Amen. that somebody understands that I'm going through something. Yeah. Don't delegitimize what I'm going through. I just need you to see it. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit in us. He sees it and he understands. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, we are the high priest who's not unaware of our infirmities. Jesus knows what it is to be human. Jesus knew what it was to thirst and to experience loss and to be buckled under the weight of rejection. He knew what it was to go without. He knew what it was to experience poverty, to not know where he would lay his head. We have a God who understands and he is calling you and I into that ministry of understanding and compassion. It's okay not to be okay sometimes. And Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Listen to me. Love one another. Listen to me. Listen to me. Love one another. 
History tells us that the Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, the former son of the brother of thunder, son of thunder, would walk around the church in Ephesus and all he would say was, you need to love one another. And they would ask John why and he'd say, because you must. Because you must. Jesus said, this is the commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. Folks, what does that mean? It means you don't love that person based on how they love you. Okay, so they, it's not about how they've treated you. It's not about that. Okay, that's not the source of your love. You're called to love as he has loved you. So I treat the person in front of me the way my Savior treated me, not the way they have treated me. There's a difference. There's a maturing that needs to happen in all of our lives because people hurt us, even in church. Isn't it funny? You can come into church and it's, it's not, listen, it's not a... a, a uh, you know, why do we get shocked that when we walk into church, we get cut by broken things, okay? So church is full of broken things. We're all broken. We all need grace. And we get shocked when we get cut off our own sharp edges. Isn't it funny? I brush up against the broken thing and I get cut and, I, and I'm shocked. <laughs> it's a funny thing. But anyway, how you conduct your relationships in the body will speak to those in the world. That's what Jesus is saying. Please listen. Verse 34, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How you conduct your relationships in the body will speak to those in the world. They don't know what love is out there, just in case you were wondering. Some of you have been Christian parents, younger people. Let me tell you, there's nothing, there is no love out in that world. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not there. It's not there. It's a, a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours mentality. Okay, you, find, you want love, you find it at the cross. Okay, they don't know what love is. They don't know what true relationship is. And we are not to preach ourselves, but Christ crucified. Not some moral paradigm, but the Savior's love displayed, displayed through how we treat each other. Listen, people need grace, belonging, acceptance, approval, compassion, understanding. We ought not to withhold it from each other, but show it to one another because this speaks to the world. That's Jesus's mission plan. That's his evangelistic strategy. Love each other as I've loved you and the world will know who you belong to. Our relationships are, are not our morality as the storefront of the gospel. They should look through the window and see love, the window of our relationships and see love. Sacrifice, the cross is about covering me instead of you, my life instead of yours, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Look at Paul writing to Philemon, writing to Philemon about, uh, uh, about Anisiphorus. But if he, being Anisiphorus, a slave who'd run from Philemon, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Charge it to my account. Paul, I write this with my own hand. I'll repay it. If, if my brother has done something wrong, I'll pick up the tab. If it's a choice between me or my brother's comfort, I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit because my Savior took the hit for me on that cross. John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. 
you are my friend if you do what I command you. Isn't it wonderful? A 33-year-old saviour. 33. No wife, no children, no experience of those things. A friend to tax collectors and sinners. Time for anybody in any status in life. And now as God risen in glory, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your stage is in life. He is your personal God and saviour and he has time for you. He has time for you. He's not looking down on you today. Isn't that wonderful? I want to keep going. Romans 8, 14 through 15 says this. Let me read it to you. I don't want to paraphrase it. It's such a powerful passage. It says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of sonship or adoption, wherein we cry, Abba, Father. Okay? So we have a foundation. This is a house, folks. This is the family of God. This is how to perceive this. This is what the church is. It is God's family. And every one of us has received the spirit of adoption through the gospel. There is a spirit behind every mentality that you meet in the world. And in the church, we must move from the spirit of adoption in the gospel. We need to be rooted and grounded in love, as Paul tells us. We need to be confident in the love that Jesus has given us. It is a sure foundation through which we're able to step into relationships in a healthy way. Paul gives a warning, folks. Paul gives a warning in in, in 525. He says, since we've been, since we've come into our life in the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, envying and provoking one another. Let us not become conceited. In other words, Paul says, don't slip into a old way of conducting relationships. No longer from that gospel foundation, but from a place of fear and a sense of illegitimacy. Because that's not the spirit you've received in the gospel. I want to ask you today, are your relationships in step with the spirit you've received from the gospel? Are they? What do your relationships look like? Let me ask you a question. When you go to work, are you bracing yourself because you know you're going to meet somebody at work that maybe threatens you or you don't like them or whatever, or maybe even driving to church, you're priming yourself. I'm going to see this person or that person at church. And all of a sudden we're looking at people and looking at, at what, uh, 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 <laughs> we're not looking at God anyway. Well, Paul says that we're, Paul warns us about conceit or, or in the old English in, in the King James, it's vain glory. In the Greek, it's kino doxos, okay? But in simple terms, it's a feeling of illegitimacy. So Paul warns us, says, be careful that you don't slip into a feeling of illegitimacy in the house of God, okay? And what do I mean by illegitimacy? That we don't have a place or a portion or a future or an inheritance in the place that we've been planted. Be careful that you don't slip into that. Because if you slip into that place, into that 
mode. Remember Paul says we've, we've received the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of fear. When we, slip, when we, when we start moving in fear, it's, it's, it's not good. And I'm going to show you what I mean here, okay? That we don't have a place or a portion or a future or an inheritance in the place where we've been planted. Remember, we are a family, we're a spiritual house, we're a body, yet so many of us deal with that sense of illegitimacy. Paul says, don't become this way. He warns us not to delegitimize ourselves or each other in our relationships, not to invalidate each other, not to invalidate each other, and that it has a negative effect on our relationships. And he gives two words, envying and provoking. I will break it down and show you what I mean, okay? Okay, listen, because when this stuff happens, there's an undermining of the foundations of our identity in him. We don't move from the gospel, in other words, as the source of our self-worth. When we feel illegitimate, we move off the sure foundation of the gospel for our sense of self-worth and value, and we go another direction. So I'm going to ask you this morning, how do you see people? Because in, that, in, in the, the feeling of illegitimacy, right, will cause us to view people in two categories, Paul is saying. People who make us feel good about ourselves and people who make us feel bad about ourselves, okay? So people who make us feel good about ourselves, that word provoke there that Paul uses, it's a superiority complex. And people who make us feel bad about ourselves, that's Paul, Paul uses the word envy, that's an inferiority complex, so we can have a superiority or an inferiority complex that we bring into all of our relationships. And it is a far cry from the call to bear each other's burdens. And I'm going to show you why. Let me, let me just very quickly give you a practical example. Before I lift something up, I need to make sure that I'm on a steady foundation that bears my weight and can bear the weight of somebody else. That's why foundations are so important. Because when we move out of illegitimacy, all our relationships end up becoming about comparison how, and how people affect our sense of self-worth. I want to talk about comparison for a little bit. So many of us live our lives in constant comparison with others. Sometimes those comparisons make us feel good, sometimes bad. It's true, isn't it? Comparing all of the time. But the point is we're drawn away from certain relationships that make us feel negatively about ourselves and towards relationships that help prop up our self-worth. That's how it works. And the problem is we view each other as either a threat to our sense of self-worth or a way to build up our sense of self-worth. This is how human relationships work outside of the gospel, the security of the gospel. And here's the problem. We end up using people instead of serving them. We need them to prop us up. Instead of propping them up, they need to prop us up. And it, it's not in step with the spirit and it affects how we see the burdens of the people around us. Have you been there? I've been there for sure. I'll give you a few examples here. Paul in, in, six, in Galatians 6 talks about burdens 
and loads, okay? And there's a difference. He talks about burdens and he talks about loads. And here in verse 2, he says that we're to carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, that word burden actually means anything that's grievously heavy or too hard to be borne on our own, okay? And so Paul is warning us, in effect, that we shouldn't be conceited and judge someone else's load, comparing it to your own to feel better about yourself by comparison. In other words, I can carry that. Why can't you? I, I raised kids, and you're struggling with your kids. I did it. Why can't you do it? As an example. Just as an example, okay? But the problem is this. That's not the point. The point is, it's crushing that person. And you've withdrawn yourself in judgment. But you're supposed to help them. Help them. Help them. Don't look at it and withdraw from it and see how they get on. I'll just watch and see how they get on. Help them. Stand with them. Stand with them. We live in a story topper culture. Any of you millennials know what I mean by story topping, okay? A let me tell you how hard life really is culture, right? You think you've got it tough? Let me tell you how tough I've, I had it. You think you've had a bad day? Let me tell you about how bad my day has been. Let me, you think you know what pain is? I'll tell you what pain is. Now, have you ever, I don't know if there are any Monty Python fans in the house, but there is a famous Monty Python skit called The Four Yorkshiremen. The four Yorkshiremen. Now, it is hilarious. There's four Yorkshiremen, and they're sitting in luxury, and they start talking about their childhoods. And as they start comparing how bad their childhoods were, it gets successively more ridiculous and fantastical. And I've got the transcript, and I'm just going to read the end of it so you can have a laugh off it, and you can identify with what I'm talking about. Listen to this. This is towards the end. A cardboard box, because the last person said, I was living in a cardboard box. That's how hard my childhood was. I, well, this person says, you were lucky. We lived for three months in a brown paper bag in a septic tank. We used to have to get up at six o'clock in the morning, clean the bag, eat a crust of stale bread and go down to work in a mill for 14 hours a day, week in, week out. And when we got home, our God would thrash us to sleep with his belt. The next response, luxury. We used to have to get out of the lake at three o'clock in the morning, clean the lake, eat a handful of hot gravel, go to work in the mill every day for a tuppence a month, come home and dad would beat us around the head and neck with a broken bottle if we were lucky. Well, we had it tough. We had to, go, we had to get up out of the shoebox at 12 o'clock at night and lick the road clean with our tongues. We had half a handful of freezing cold gravel, worked 24 hours a day at the mill for four pence every six years. And when we got home, our our dad would slice us in two with a bread knife. Are we ready? Right. I had to get up in the morning at 10 o'clock at night, half an hour before I went to bed, drink a cup of sulfuric acid, work 29 hours a day down a mill and pay the mill owner for permission to come to work. And then when we got home, our dad and our mother would kill us and dance on our grave singing hallelujah. 
Now listen, this is how the skit ends. But you try and tell the young people that today and they won't believe you. (laughs) Folks, folks, be careful not to widen the generation gap. Be careful not to widen the generation gap. Listen, don't... (laughs) When we... Why do we have to invalidate another person's difficulty by downsizing it in comparison to our own? You are widening the generation gap. Listen to me. Listen to me. That millennial... When you hear that quote, or millennials, they think they rent the world, not own the world, but rent the world. Be careful that we don't widen the generation gap. Have you ever had somebody tell you how to lift something but not actually help you lift it? Have you ever tried lifting a couch or a, like, do you know what I mean? And somebody, it's always that person who sort of stands there and goes, well, what you want to do is you want to pivot some. And you want to, you want to let me tell you, oh, no, no, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. No one likes a backseat lifter, right? You're not long lifting them out of the situation, are you? You're not. No one likes it. And so, so we can't be doing it in the church. Help them. Help them. Don't invalidate the burden. That's provocation. That's what Paul is saying. That's a superiority complex. That's the old way. That's the old way of doing things. Paul says, don't do that. That's not carrying the burdens of those around you. And listen, if you're a millennial and you're wringing your hands in joy, I'm about to turn the guns on you because it works the other way as well. What about when someone else's burden makes you feel small? Do you have authority issues? Do you have authority issues? Listen to me. Behind every great gift is a greater burden. Behind every gifted leader that you see standing in position, there is a burden that you are called to help them carry. Right? There is. I love Spider-Man. Love the new Spider-Man movie. But Uncle Ben has a famous saying. Uncle Ben, Spider-Man's uncle. Hence the term uncle. It says, with great power comes great responsibility. When you see a gift a leader operating in a gift that they've been graced by God to operate in or a position or a title. Behind it, there's a burden. You need to help them with that burden. We're called to help bear the burdens that those in authority carry. That's why we're here. We're here to help serve. We're here to help lighten the load. Listen, why can't you serve that person that God has given a crushing weight to carry? Because their gift or position can threaten your sense of accomplishment. You've got to see beyond the weight to the burden. That someone else's burden can actually cause you to disregard or fail to value what God has given you in your own life. The things that God has blessed you with. Don't hold out on a leader. Don't sit on your best ideas. Don't sit on your whole effort just because it's not you. Serve. Give. You- <laughs> Do it, because if you don't, that's what Paul calls envy. It's an inferiority complex. And in each, either way, either way, you're not fulfilling the law of Christ. Because in verse 5, Paul says this. He talks about a load. It's something you can carry. Because we all have loads, right? We all do. We look at the burdens. We look at the things other people deal with. And we say, well, my life, 
I got stuff going on, my kids, my family, my finances, this, that, and the other, uh, you know, it's tough, I can't really help, and this, and all that sort of thing. We're great with the excuses, okay? We're hot with the excuses, but don't forget what Jesus tells us in Matthew 6. He says, the Father knows what you need. He knows about your load. He knows about the food you need, the clothes you need. He knows about your lot. And he's promised that if you'll seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to carry your load so you can carry their burden. I, by grace... I'm gracing you to carry what's yours to carry. I will take care of your children. I will cover your finances. I will help you. I will create time for you if you need time with your wife, with your family. I'll do it. But don't stand back when you see a brother under a crushing load or a burden. Don't judge them in it. And don't let that, don't, don't blind yourself to the reality of it because you're threatened by what God has given them and where he's put them. Neither fulfills the law of Christ. We delegitimize that person when we delegitimize their burden. It's the opposite of the gospel. And folks, let's drive comparison out of the house that God is building. The fastest way to kill something is to compare it to something else. Parents, do not compare your children to each other. Don't do it, because when you do, you invalidate. Whoever's at the, br the brunt of that comparison gets invalidated. The least in the house this morning is a blood-bought son or daughter of the living God and is to be valued, not because of the gifts God gives them, but the, because of the blood he shed for them. That's the truth. That's the truth. Folks, we need to examine our foundations, the foundations of our identity. See, when our found, the foundations of our identity exist under the sun within creation, when we build our sense of self-worth based on where somebody else is at, what they have or whatever, it's not solid ground. It's empty glory. Until we know who we are, we can never serve other people. We'll either judge them or feel threatened by them. We need the security of a son to serve in the body. Turn with me to John 13, 1 through 5. It's a familiar passage of scripture. We know it well. I'm going to read it to you. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. That's important, folks. Verse 3 is important. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Folks, the Son of God knew who he was. And because he knew who he was, he could serve the people around him. Regardless of their hearts, regardless of their motives, regardless of the, the, the state of who, where they were at, he could serve them. Our God is no respecter of persons this morning. He's no respecter of persons. And we shouldn't be either. We shouldn't be either. 
We should love and serve people because Jesus bled and died for them. Amen. That's your value this morning. It's not your gifting. It's not your gifting. It's not about gifting. It's about culture. It's about health. Gifts gather crowds. Culture keeps a crowd. Health matters. Relationships matter. And so listen, he knew three things that allowed him to wash the feet of his disciples, to attend to the dirtiest, most unflattering parts of who they were, to humbly serve those who would overtly and covertly betray him. He knew three things. He knew that all things had been given into his hands. He knew he came from God and he knew he was going back to God. Jesus knew these things. In other words, he knew that he was a son and an heir. I'm a son and an heir. He had all the belonging and approval he would ever need. He had the assurance of an inheritance of a glorious future. When I am secure in what God has made me, when I'm secure in what he's promised to give me, nobody can threaten who I am or take my portion away from me. Nobody can add to my stature or my lot. I can just love and serve people. Galatians 4, and make no mistake, you are a son and heir. Make no mistake, as sure as there was a cross, as sure as our Savior died on that cross and purchased you, you are a son and an heir. And the confidence Jesus had, you can have as well. And take that confidence into your relationships. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul writes this to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's almost an an exact mirror of Romans 8, 15. So you are no longer a slave to vainglory and illegitimacy, to feelings of inadequacy, You don't have to live under the burden of delegitimacy, the opinions of others, the comparisons others make, the comparisons you make. You are a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mark 1, 11, I love it. Jesus coming up out of the water at his baptism, a heavenly voice says this, you are my beloved son, and in you I'm well pleased. I love it because it's in the first person. It's as if God's saying it to you, and he is. Before Jesus did anything in his earthly ministry, God spoke an identity over him, bestowed an identity onto him. It's not achieved. It's not about your gifts or abilities. It's been given to you at Calvary. You are my beloved son, and you I'm well pleased. And if a son, then an heir. You have a place in my house. You have an inheritance in my house. I gave it to you. I put you here, and I will bring you into the future I have for you. Let no one rob you of the foundation I've given you. Do not rob yourself of the foundation I've given you. I've given you this foundation. It is your boast in me. It's yours in me. You belong here. I put you here. The foundations of our identity lie above the sun, not in giftings or abilities or or people's approval, but in the sun, S-O-N. I belong because he has called me son. 
And this heavenly identity, this is confidence to love in spite of motives and behavior and station. I am a son, I'm secure, I have a sense of worth, I'm an heir, I have a secure future. Therefore, people can't shake my sense of self-worth or threaten my future. I can humbly, transparently serve and minister to the filthiest parts of the people around me. I can. I can minister to those around me in the way he ministered to me. And how do you walk in this new identity? It's in verse three. Jesus said, knowing, and that word means to see, to discern, to turn the eyes, the mind, the attention. In other words, it's to get a knowledge of or an understanding of. And what, so, so what am I saying? It's to grow in the word. It's to grow in the promises, to set these promises before you, to meditate on these truths, to grow in the knowledge, in the depth of understanding that you have in what he's made you. It's in the book, folks. It's in the book. We are are to be a people of the book. This word has authority. This word has all authority. We come under what the scriptures say. We surrender and submit ourselves to what God has revealed in his word because it's unchanging. It's unsinkable. Every ism has come and gone, but God's word continues on. Every ism. This word will be here after communism. This word will be here after socialism, after every ism. This word's authority will endure through the ages. Some people hang their orthodoxy on Twitter and Hollywood. This is where I get my opinions. This is where I get my ideas. I'm hanging my hat on scripture. I'm hanging my hat on what God says. How, how is it that the enemies made us ashamed of that? Can I just, on a a brief tangent, how is that? How is it that the enemies managed to elevate the opinions of actors and musicians and athletes and Twitter beta males? Sorry if you're a Twitter beta male. Any keyboard dubbed warriors in the house, Reddit, 4chan warriors. Somehow your opinion is lifted as orthodoxy and what's politically correct and the unchanging truth of scripture. I need to be embarrassed about getting my opinions from scripture. Yeah, all right. We'll see how that pans out. In fact, we don't need to see how it pans out. I read the end of the book and we know how it pans out. We know how it pans out. We're going to lens ourselves through the word instead of emotions and other people's opinions and comparisons. We're going to wash people's feet because what are people starving for? Compassion, grace to the most filthy and unflattering parts of their lives. People are looking for acceptance. Christ isn't afraid to touch those areas. And we're called into the ministry of the Spirit of God, which is to touch them as well. It is. And Galatians 1, it says that we who are spiritual should restore our brothers in a spirit of gentleness. And that word spiritual just means spirit-filled. We who are spirit-filled should be merciful and gentle and not compare ourselves to those who are carrying loads we think we could carry, but actually God has graced us to carry. That's what God is calling us to, folks. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. He's my brother. 
Can I, can I read one or two words from the song as I end? Listen. For I know he would not encumber me. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. If I'm laden at all, I'm laden with sadness that everyone's heart isn't filled with the gladness of love for one another. It's a long, long road from which there is no return and we're on our way to there. Why not share the load? It doesn't weigh me down at all. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.